Chapter Two of the Story of Red Feather by Edward S. Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two An Important Letter Shut In. Astonished by the cry, young Clarendon turned his head and looked at his sister, who landed at his side at that moment like a fairy. She was holding a sheet of paper in her hand. It was folded in the form of an envelope, and penciled on the outside in bold letters were the words, Melville Clarendon, in haste, read instantly. He took the letter from his sister and trembled as if from a chill, as he hurriedly unfolded the paper and read, My dear Mel, leave at once. The Sioux have taken the warpath, and a party of their worst warriors from the Muddy Creek country have started out on a raid. They are sure to come this way and I suppose the house will be burned and everything on which they can lay hands destroyed. They are under the lead of the desperate Red Feather, and will spare nothing. A friendly Sioux stopped this morning before daylight and warned me. I gathered the animals together, and your mother and I set out for Barwell in all haste, driving the beasts before us. I feel certain of either finding you and Dot at my brothers in the settlement— or of meeting you on the way, for I suppose, of course, you will follow the regular trail. But at the moment of starting, your mother suggests the possibility that you may take the upper route. To make sure, I write this letter. If the Indians reach the building before you, they will leave such traces of their presence that you will take the alarm. If you arrive first and see this note, remount Saladin, turn northward, and lose not a minute in galloping to the settlement— none of them can overtake you. Avoid the upper trail, where it is much easier for them to ambush you. Keep as much on the open prairie as possible. See that your weapons are loaded. Make Saladin do his best, and God be with you and darling Dot. Your father. The youth read this important message aloud to Dot, who stood at his side, looking wistfully up in his face. She was too young to comprehend fully its meaning, but she knew that her parents had left for the settlement, and that her father had ordered Melville to follow at once with her. "'The bad Indians are coming,' he added. "'And if we stay here, they will shoot us. I don't think,' he said, glancing around, "'that they are anywhere near, but they're likely to come at any minute, so we won't wait.' "'Oh, Mel,' suddenly spoke up Dot, "'you know I forgot to take Susie with me when I went away. Can't I get her now?' Susie was Dot's pet doll, and the fact that she left it behind when making her visit to Uncle Jack's had a great deal more to do with her homesickness than her friends suspected. The thought of leaving it behind again almost broke her heart. "'I'm sure Mother took it with her when she went off this morning,' replied Melville, feeling a little uneasy over the request. "'I'll soon find out,' said she, stepping hastily toward the door. He could not refuse her wish, for he understood the depth of the affection she felt for the doll, whose dress was somewhat torn, and whose face was not always as clean as her own. Besides, it could take only a minute or two to get the plaything, if it had been left in the house. Although his situation prevented his seeing anything in the rear of the building, he was sure the dreaded Indians were not yet in sight, and he desired to make a hasty survey of the interior of the house himself. How familiar everything looked! There were the chairs placed against the wall, and the deal table in the middle of the room. Melville noticed that the pictures which had hung so long on the walls had been taken away. 
They were portraits of the members of the family, and the mother looked upon them as too precious to be allowed to run any risk of loss. A few other valuables, including the old Bible, had been removed, but the parents were too wise to increase their own danger by loading themselves with goods, however much they regretted leaving them behind. Although there was an old-fashioned fireplace, the Clarendons used a large stove standing near it. Curiosity led Melville to examine it, and he smiled to find it still warm. The ashes within, when stirred, showed some embers glowing beneath. There was something in the fact which made the youth feel as though the distance between him and his parents had become less than a short time before. "'Strange that I took the upper trail,' he said to himself, resuming his standing position, and thereby missed them. "'It's the first time I've been over that course for a long while, and it beats me that today, when I shouldn't have done so, I must do it. But fortunately no harm was done.' It struck him that Dot was taking an unusually long time in the search of her doll. Walking to the foot of the stairs, he called to her. "'It won't do to wait any longer, Dot. We must be off. If you can't find your doll, it's because Mother took it with her.' "'I found it! I found it!' she exclaimed, dancing with delight. "'I had hid it in the bed where Mother didn't see it. Bless your soul, Susie!' and Melville laughed as he heard a number of vigorous smacks which told how much the child loved her pet. "'I suppose you are happy now,' remarked Melville, taking her hand while he held his gun in the other as they walked towards the door. "'Indeed I am,' she replied, with that emphatic shake of the head by which children of her years often give force to their words. Melville placed his hand on the latch of the door and, raising it, drew the structure inward. He had lowered his arm and once more taken the hand of his sister, and was in the act of stepping outside, when the sharp report of a rifle broke the stillness, and he felt the whiz of the bullet which grazed his face and buried itself in the wall behind him. The lad was quick-witted enough to know on the instant what it meant, and leaping back he hastily closed the door, drew in the latch-string, and, leaning his rifle against the side of the room, slipped the bar in place. He had hardly done so when there was a shock, as if some heavy body were flung violently against it. Such was the fact, a Sioux warrior having turned himself sideways in the moment of leaping so that his shoulders struck it with a force sufficient to carry a door off its hinges. "'What's the matter?' asked the frightened Dot. "'Why do you fasten the door, Mel?' "'The bad Indians have come. They're trying to get into the house so as to hurt us.' "'And do they want Susie?' she asked Melville, hugging her doll very close to her breast. "'Yes, but we won't let them have her. Keep away from the window,' he added, catching her arm and drawing her back from the dangerous position into which her curiosity was leading her. "'Sit down there,' he said, pointing to one of the chairs, which was beyond reach of any bullet that could be fired through a window. "'Don't stir unless I tell you to, or the bad Indians will take you and Dolly, and you will never see father or mother or me again.' This was terrible enough to scare the little one into the most implicit obedience of her brother." She meekly took her seat, with Susie still clasped in her arms, willing to do anything to save the precious one from danger, and content to leave everything to her brother. The youth had not much time to explain matters more fully to his sister, nor would it have been wise to do so. She had been told enough already to distress and render her obedient to his wishes. Following the startling shock against the door came a voice from outside. The words were in broken English, and were uttered by the Sioux warrior that had made the vain effort to drive the structure inward. "'Open door! Open door, brother!' "'I will not open the door!' called back Melville, 
Open door. Engine won't hurt pale face. Come in. Eat with him. You cannot come in. We want no visitors. Go away, or I will shoot you. This was a brave threat, but it did not do all that the lad had hoped. Whether the assailants knew how weak the force was within the house, the youth could not say. He was not without belief that they might think there were several armed defenders who would make an attack or siege on the part of the Sioux too costly for them to continue it long. The first purpose of Melville, therefore, was to learn how strong the force was that had made such a sudden attack. It was too perilous to attempt to look through one of the four narrow windows lighting the large room where he stood, and which covered the entire lower part of the building, and he decided, therefore, to got upstairs. Before doing so, he made Dot repeat her promise to sit still where she was. She assured him that he need have no fear whatsoever, and he hurriedly made his way to the rooms above. Advancing to one of the windows at the front, he peered out with the utmost caution. The first Indian whom he saw was the very one he dreaded above all others. He recognized him at the first glance by the cluster of eagle feathers stuck in his crown. There were stained of crimson red, several of the longer ones drooping behind, so as to mingle with his coarse black hair which streamed over his shoulders. This was Red Feather one of the most desperate Sioux known in the history of the border. Years before, he was a chief noted for his daring and detestation of the white men. As the country became partly settled, he acquired most of the vices and few of the virtues of the white race. He was fond of fire-water, was an inveterate thief, sullen and revengeful, quarrelsome at all times and when under the influence of drink, was feared almost as much by his own people as by the whites. Red Feather was mounted on a fine-looking horse, which there is little doubt had been stolen from some of the settlers in that part of the country. He had brought him to stand about a hundred yards from the building, he and the animal facing the house. As the Sioux chieftain held this position, the lad was struck by his resemblance to the horseman whom he and Dot noticed at the time they halted on the other bank of the stream. This discovery of young Clarendon suggested an explanation of the sight which so puzzled him and his sister. The chief had described them at the same moment, if not before they saw him, and as much as the occupants of the building were absent, he must have thought they had gone off together, and he could not have believed that, if such were the case— any members of the company would return. The boy, therefore, had ridden part way back to learn what was to be fate of the cabin and the property left behind. Red Feather had waved his blanket as a taunt, and then rode off for his warriors and camped nearby with the purpose of directing them in an attack on the house. It was a most unfortunate oversight that Melville did not make a survey of the surrounding country before entering his own home, for had he done so he would have learned of his peril but you will remember that his first purpose was not to enter his house, and in truth it was Susie, the little doll, that brought all the trouble. The dismay caused by his unexpected imprisonment was not without something in the nature of relief. In the first place, a careful survey of his surroundings showed there were only six Sioux warriors in the attacking party. All were mounted, as a matter of course, fully armed, and eager to massacre the settler and his family. You will say these were enough to frighten any lad, however brave. 
but you must remember that Melville held a strong position in the house. Such a fine horse as Saladin could not fail to catch the eye of the dusky scamps, and at the moment Redfeather fired his well-nigh fatal shot at the youth, three warriors were putting forth their utmost efforts to capture the prize. But the wise Saladin showed no liking for the red men, and would not permit any of them to lay hands on him. It was an easy matter to do this, for among them all there was not one that could approach him in fleetness. He suffered them to come quite near, and then, flinging his head with a triumphant neigh, sped beyond their reach like an arrow darting from the bow. Melville's eyes kindled. "'I am proud of you, Saladin,' he said. "'And if I dared, I would give you a hurrah!' He watched the performance for several minutes, the rapid movement of the horses causing him to shift his position once or twice from one side of the house to the other. Finally, one of the Sioux saw how idle their pursuit was, and, angered at being baffled, deliberately raised his rifle and fired at Saladin. Whether he hit the horse or not, Melville could not say, though the animal showed no signs of being hurt. But the lad was so indignant that he leveled his own weapon and, pointing the muzzle out of the narrow window, muttered, "'If you want to try that kind of business, I'm willing, and I think I can make a better shot than you did.' Before, however, he could be sure of his aim, he was startled by a cry from Dot. "'Come down here quick, Mel! A great big Indian is getting in the house by the window!' End of chapter 2